Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right. Let's do it. 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 Well, go on then, assertive Annie. Get started. <laughs> oh, you've been a little. I know that you find it difficult on strike days because you've got you've got to move around the capital yeah. in a different way. Mm. Um, but you've been a particularly tetchy today. If I well, it is. Say it, so, is um, it is. It is. It, it does. It's really weird because uh, uh, people not listening in the UK. I have to say that public transport around the UK is quite patchy, um, but in London, on the whole, public transport is truly a miracle. I mean, it's brilliant. It's properly efficient, and you can get from one side of a huge city to the other relatively easily, can't you? It's very true. Um, Sometimes I have a bit of a hissy fit if there's a. 10 minute delay on the Jubilee line yeah, and but, I have to check in with myself. No, we are so fortunate. Yeah. Um, the buses are great, they're 24 hours a day, some of the tube lines are 24 hours a day as well. Um, I mean, it's and it's joined up, you know, you, you can just go from hop from one form of transport to the other relatively easily. But not today. But not today because the tubes are on strike. Nobody yeah. outside London gives a shit. I am no. aware of that. But yeah. I think it has changed your underlying equilibrium, hasn't it? Well, I had to go, and I did, I, I tell you what, the day got off to a bad start because, you know, some Sometimes you just sort of press buttons, and I'm I'm a frequent offender here, serial offender of just pressing buttons. And I think I pressed buttons on my bedside radio, and it just came on at five to six this morning. I must have set an alarm, and it was just something I didn't want to listen to at five to six this morning. And I, it wasn't my normal wake up time, and I've been discombobulated. I'm so, so sorry. Yes, thank you. Well, look, thoughts and prayers, yes. and uh, we hope for a quiet night. Uh, party girl cats, Fee was right. Can I just get this one out yeah, of the way? Uh, yes, it is true that female cats can have a litter with kittens sired by different dads. I fostered many nursing female cats with kittens fathered by different dads. In this litter, there were at least three dads, possibly four. Good grief. I know, think that through. Poor Ooh. cat, poor lady cat. Yeah. Uh, the kittens were three white, two chunky long-haired, two smaller bullseye, one mackerel. Uh, they were born in Ealing, fostered in Richmond. Well, that's it, Ealing. <laughs> I mean, it all goes on there. I'm not very funny, but it looks suburban. There's a lot of stuff going on behind those neck curtains in Ealing. Well, no, yes. really, no, there is. Juliet gets to that point oh, herself. Does she? Okay. <laughs> 
and all were homed in the West London area oh. and would have been available to potential adopters in East West Kensington, uh, but out of the area for trendy East London, I'm afraid. Heidi, the tabby and white one with long white black socks, I adopted. She was the smallest and naughtiest, and she's now living her best life in New Zealand. What? She's gone all the way there? <laughs> yep. In a giant litter box. Technically, it's a beach, and she quickly learned it wasn't for her convenience after being pursued at great speed by a dog. Heidi added aerial flying to her CV that day. In case you're thinking, have I had too many drinks? What's happening in this podcast? You haven't at all. It's just a very detailed one from Juliet, uh, which is backing me up on the theory, which you laughed at, that a lady cat could be impregnated by different tomcats and therefore have different cats with different dads in the same litter. OK, I think I found that easier to comprehend than the rather sweet story you told yourself, which was that... Barbara's your, dad had yeah, come to see her. Your, your kitten Barbara had been visited by her father. Yes, I'm, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going uh, to stick with that. I'm going to stick with that because I'd never seen that enormous great big cat in my garden before and he was at the door, he was looking through the window, Barbara was terrified... I think he's a member of Fathers for Justice. <laughs> we haven't heard much about them lately. Um, so we don't want to encourage them, I don't think, necessarily. Um, now, Fee, you read an interesting story, actually, today, um, when we were chatting through other news stories about Botox and some horrible stories about um, stuff that had gone on in Turkey. So there's a bad batch of Botox doing the rounds in Turkey. So yeah. poor people who've gone over there to have... Uh, various procedures have begun to get really unwell and some of them have come back you know because they're thinking I, I don't feel great I need to get home but it's not got any better once they've got back here and of course it's not easy for them to be helped here because the treatment they had was elsewhere yeah so, so they yeah. don't quite know what they've had okay so uh it, there's just to try to uh, redress the balance a little bit although it's not directly linked but this from julie who says i had really bad urinary incontinence which i've had treated twice here in the uk as a last resort because all else failed uh, and i had botox a fantastic result and restored freedom i now feel safe to sleep away from home it has to be repeated every six months or so but i'd recommend it to anyone says julie i have heard that before that botox absolutely has some incredible uses and can be quite brilliant well it was and i'm very glad to hear that yes. um because obviously that's just such a, a terribly debilitating complaint to have but botox was never invented to uh, be used as a cosmetic procedure no. was it no it's botulism isn't yes it? yeah, yeah. Mm. so you know maybe we should revert to what it was meant for i don't want to start something too terrible but die has joined in about how often we should launder our bed linen oh yeah i enjoyed this yeah, yeah. fortnightly for duvet says die weekly for sheets and pillowcases well we're 73 and 80 and we've survived very well using a simple scientific formula for washing or not washing the bedclothes dive under the sheets take a deep breath and then try to sit up if you've survived then they can wait another week before you try again I think that's fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I don't quite understand it. Does does she mean if you take a deep breath and it's just so overwhelming and terrible you can't sit up, mm. then you should wash them? Or there's something in the sheets that would be so dirty you actually can't sit up? Combination of the two, possibly. Oh, okay. I don't know. I, I, don't, I mean, none of that applies to students, by the way. I mean, God knows how often. They've got a whole term. Ugh, I, mm. Tell me about it. Um, this is Rachel, who would like to be set up with Olivia, who's our listener in Brisbane. <gasps> 
So there we are. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding uh, dong. We might be able to do that. Is there anything to stop us doing that? Uh, I think quite a lot of GDPR and stuff like that. But, oh, okay. uh, but I think uh, we'd have to investigate. Well, I'll pass this email on to the relevant authorities. But um, Rachel says, um, at my school, this is a conversation we were having about getting girls into sport at school. And uh, Rachel says, at my school, the boys did sport every afternoon and the girls did sport four afternoons a week. But on the 5th, they did needlework. This was in the late 1980s, incredibly outdated. It got me thinking about other stupid rules, and I'd be curious to know if anybody can relate to this one. And I've got to say, this was new to me. We were not allowed salad until we were in the fifth year. Condiments were also part of the salad bar, and therefore they were banned. Jamie Oliver became famous when I got to the fifth year, and suddenly the whole school was allowed salad. (laughs) We were so angry about that. We also weren't allowed the veggie option unless we had a letter from parents stating that we'd be veggie, we'd been vegetarian for at least a term. I can't imagine that flying nowadays. Uh, Rachel, you're right, it absolutely wouldn't. Because everywhere you go, there's a there's a veggie and vegan alternative. I mean, I think Rupert Murdoch might be surprised to see that there's a vegan option in the canteen in this building every single day. How there? do you know that Rupert Murdoch is not a confirmed vegan? Oh, I'm sorry, he may well be. He's lived a, a long time. Secret to a long life. Perhaps that's yeah. a secret. I love Rachel's email uh, because, I mean, apart from anything... One of the things that absolutely amazed me uh, was not too long ago when my kids came back from starting their secondary schools to report that there was such a thing in both their schools called a salad bar. I mean, the notion at school that we'd have a salad bar. We just, we never had, even in the height of summer, it was a combination of beef and potatoes. Yeah, yes. Just every single day. I don't remember there ever being fish and the oh, you must wasn't. have had fish. We had fish every single Friday. I think we might have had a kind of... We, well, we, I don't think we did have that fish and chips on a Friday thing. We might have had a fish pie or something. And I'm not knocking the food, because actually I ate it very willingly, but a salad bar at school... I mean, that was just the stuff of fancy, well, absolute I mean, fancy. When I when I hear the word salad, I do think of, of a salad as constructed by my dad, and he would literally do two, two leaves of lettuce, a whole tomato... And possibly a hard-boiled egg. Nice. That was a salad, and still is, in his mind. Absolutely. Mm. Difficult to have a whole tomato, not a sliced one. No, no, it was sliced. (laughs) That was for for foreigners. Whole tomato. I'd really like to meet your dad sometime. I'm sure he's asked to meet me. I think you're just trying to keep us apart deliberately (laughs) in case we strike up a magical friendship and leave you out. Well, actually, no, he did. He rang at a very inconvenient time. You know, uh, older people, they have a sort of, a. you know, I'm going to say they have a little bit of time to fill. And uh, he couldn't have been more inconvenient the moment he chose to ring me this morning. I was trying to work it out. I was going to get to work. He said, have you got a moment? I said, no, no, I really haven't. Well, next time that happens, ask him to give me a call. I mean, I was happy. I was calm. You're much more understanding. Yeah, I was only half an hour away from work. Uh, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Uh, our big guest today uh, was fantastic, wasn't she? Uh, she was Roma, well, she still is, probably, Roma Agrawal, the structural engineer who worked on the design of the Shard. And she'd written a book called Nuts and Bolts, Seven Small Inventions That Changed the World in a Big Way. And I thought, well, that's one of those books I'm going to take home and flick through, and that's fine, absolutely lovely. But I couldn't put it down, Jane. It's fascinating about why the nail, the lens, the spring, the pump... The pump, yeah. The magnet and... 
I've still got You've said names, haven't you? Um, yep. Oh, it's just like Jim's game, Kim's game. Oh, no, that's that was, that was never really good. Anyway, one. tiny things that have completely changed the world. And uh, it's beautifully written, isn't it, with loads of anecdotes and loads of facts. And we really enjoyed her company. So, for example, if your surname is Naylor, that's because somebody in your family used to make nails. And you, of course, are called... Lover. Somebody in my family used to make love. <laughs> That's a good one. OK, let's hear from Roma Agrawal, structural engineer and author of Nuts and Bolts. And here she is uh, describing the incredible building that we're very close to here, actually, uh, in London by London Bridge, The Shard. Um, I, I think of it as <clears throat> a very stretched, elongated pyramid. I think that's the easiest way to describe it. But the idea is that there are lots of pieces of glass that rise up into the sky and don't quite come together at the top. <laughs> now, that's the both frightening, intriguing and rather beautiful aspect of the Shard. Um, it does divide people, I've got to be honest. And, <laughs> uh, uh, is it fair to say that it is a bit of an indulgent structure? Because there are parts of it, I think, I could be wrong, I think are still quite empty. Uh, I So to be honest, I finished with my work on it over a decade ago now and I was mainly concerned with the engineering of it. How do we make it stand up? Working with the it's amazing architects. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was my main focus. But, but for me, career-wise, I kind of grew up with the building. So I started off, I must have been 24 years old when I started working on that project um, as a graduate engineer going up to becoming you know an associate director and so on so i mean i really grew with the building which is incredible yeah and it is it is a very very gorgeous structure but it is fundamentally is it an office space more than anything else and do we actually uh, as a human as a species do we require these spaces anymore (laughs) because we were just talking about the desire to work remotely yeah, so the Shard is actually a mixed-use building, which means it's got offices, it's got hotel, it's got restaurants, public spaces and so on. And and I think as far as these, you know, big structures and big buildings go, having that mixed-use is probably the most kind of long-term model. Mm. But, but 100% we need to have another look at what we're building, why we're building it and so on. And one of the things that I explore in my new book, which is called Nuts and Bolts, is trying to actually delve into the tiny bits of our engineering, trying to understand better what the origins of all our stuff is, because our stuff just seems so complicated. Like if you thought about the Shard and when, how was that built and how does it work? It just feels so overwhelming. But if we start small, I think we can tell really lovely stories and learn more about what's around us. Can we just hear a little bit about you and young mm. Roma and the things you did <laughs> and what you were interested in? So I broke a lot of stuff. I'm sure my parents will tell you about that. So I remember breaking crayons, sharpening pencils, opening ballpoint pens, you know, stuff that I could get my hands on. My daughter, who's three and a half, is following quite a similar route. She had a phase where she just chucked everything on the floor and some stuff broke, some stuff bounced, and it was all—it was very fascinating watching her reaction to it. Um, less so mine, I think. <laughs> but um, I was always interested in the world around us. I think all children are. I grew up in a very kind of sciency engineering household. I grew up in India as well, where um, we love—we love a bit of engineering and science and maths. And I moved here when I was sixteen, and kind of took it from there. Went became an engineer. And started my work when I was in my very early 20s. So Nuts and Bolts as a book, is it is a thing of beauty. If he was talking about it earlier, and it, it really takes apart those small things, as you say, that actually build our life, our lives. So can we just start with the thing that I was most gripped by, which is, is string. String, yeah. Um, because <laughs> uh, if I'm honest, I 
honestly had never thought about where it came from. So just tell yeah. us, tell I us mean, where it comes neither from. Neither had I, but again, it was just this idea of trying to break everything down. So I've got this crocheted glove in front of me, which isn't quite finished. It's got lots of strands sticking out. And what you can see, and I'll obviously describe it for the listeners, is it's the yarn I've used is made up of four threads. Yeah. But each one of those threads is made up of a number of strands that have been twisted together. And we only found out two or three years ago that this type of construction of string was actually a Neanderthal invention. So we found it's a tiny little piece of string stuck to a tool that the um, Neanderthals used many tens of thousands of years ago. And the idea is that you're taking fibres, you're twisting them up in very particular ways to make sure that you get lots of friction between it. And so you're using stuff that would have been individually very weak, but then constructing it into a system that's really, really strong, but flexible. And that, for me, is what's really special about string. Yes. Um, are we sure it was Neanderthals? Because I, I say this because, and you do reference it in your book, have we, you got other evidence, well, no. Jane? Well, we don't give Neanderthals <laughs> a lot of intellectual credit, do no, we? No, we don't. And in fact, one of the people I was speaking to about this said that this does challenge our preconceptions yes, about how smart our Neanderthal cousins were. Yeah, and will they have got it from looking at spiders' webs? Um, I don't think spiders' webs are that, you know, constructed in that many sort of layers. So it's it's a very interesting question. But yes, it does speak to something of the cognitive abilities. It also may tell us a bit more about what their lives looked like. And of course, string led to clothing, which completely changed the way we occupied the planet. So now we could go to cold places, hot places. Um, we create music from it, which is beautiful. And, you know, what's the world without music? And then I take it all the way to suspension bridges, which is, you know, familiar territory for me. And the exact construction that I described, you know, in the yarn for my glove, it's the same stuff that we use made out of metal wire to hold up some of our biggest suspension bridges in the world. Well, that you, really were, you were a part of the team that designed the bridge at Northumbria University, That's right. weren't you? Just describe that. So that is a little footbridge that crosses over the motorway and it's got this big inclined column and it's got six pairs of cables coming off that cable um coming off the column and each one of those those are just solid rods so you can imagine think of that as being just a simple piece of thread um because it's not a very big bridge but then if you go to something like the Brooklyn Bridge in New York and that was the first bridge that had steel wires used to make the cables that has got hundreds and hundreds of thin steel wires that are bunched together to create these immense cables that hold the bridge up. And you were just talking about Isambard Kingdom Brunel mm. and the Clifton Suspension Bridge yes. in Bristol and the fact that he had he had a sibling, didn't he? He had a sister and I'm told, you know, anecdotally that she was smarter than him and we'll obviously never got the chance to study engineering. No. Um, I mean, and I imagine you're probably a little bit sick of the question about what was it like to be the only woman in certain places <laughs> in your profession. But I'm going to ask it anyway, because it, it has to be... Actually, I think it's probably an additional burden. Is that is that the right way of describing it? I think a lot of stuff happens that makes you think a lot. And then it's that energy that you spend, right? So, so about 15 years ago, when I was going on construction sites, there were still naked pictures of women on the walls. And I had to go in and have serious conversations about construction... Um, that stuff has become a lot better. There was a safety thing where there was never any steel-capped boots that fit me properly, so I was always kind of wobbling around on site. And a lot of progress is being made. I think 
like with most industries, the leadership is still very, very male. And, you know, that there's a lot of work to do to stop women falling out of the profession. I mean, I've fallen out of it, you know, in my mid-30s after I had my child. I'm almost a stereotype in that yeah. sense. Um, but, yeah, I think a lot of work needs to be done, be done by the industry and how we can keep women there, people of colour there, people from other minoritised backgrounds. You do put into the book a lot of your own personal experiences and uh, I did really enjoy and also felt for you the, the chapter which is about lens lenses yeah. uh, because that's a very personal story for you. Can you explain a little bit about how the lens has actually meant something to you and your family? A hundred percent. So I start that chapter off as um, a letter addressed to my daughter who's three and a half and she simply wouldn't exist without the lens and the reason is because she's an IVF baby and so I trace the history of lenses all the way back to the Islamic golden age of science, um, scientists like Ibn al-Haytham, who understood how light works, how our eyes work and so on. And what that meant, you know, in time about using the lens <clears throat> to look at stuff that's really, really small. So we started looking at cells, we started looking at sperm, we started thinking about how do they interact. And then this incredible scientist called Miriam Menken in the 1930s was trying to study fertilization outside of the body. And she was the first person to create an embryo in a lab. And then it took a few decades before an actual child was conceived from that. And, you know, Louise Brown, who's the first IVF baby to be born, is, is only a couple years older than me. And so it kind of blows my mind that, you know, a generation out and I wouldn't have been able to have a biological child. Yeah, it's, it's well, it obviously very, very personal link to you that. Mm. Um, are you, um, it is interesting because I, I was thinking back to that, you dismantle a ballpoint pen, you did that as yes. a little girl. I mean, I did that, I did that too. But I have absolutely, I mean, I couldn't put it back together again. That's the difference between those of us who certainly took it apart because I was interested enough to know what was going on inside. But you went very, very many steps further. So what what distinguishes people with your capability from the rest of us? I'm not sure if I did go much further. Oh, I definitely you, you have, remember Roma. breaking stuff. And did I mend everything? You'll have to ask my parents. Um, I think it's just keeping that curiosity up. I think it's being in the system where you are encouraged to be an engineer, to study science. Um, whereas, you know, culturally, that's not always easy, particularly for young girls. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Now, I need to talk about the nail. Yes. Um, I actually had a really genuinely interesting day out with my kids years ago at the Black Country Museum. It's a fantastic museum, that. If you've never been, make sure you go. I, I couldn't go because I wrote the book in the middle of the pandemic and oh. it was really sad that I basically couldn't do that research. It's a great... In, it's a, yeah, one of those living museums. Yeah, and yeah. it's really interesting. Anyway, the nail. Yes. Uh, how... Well, show me the nail you've got with, yes. with you and then explain... Because you made this nail. I made this nail. So this this was the one bit of thing I did manage to do is to go into a forge and, and make this nail. So it started off as a massive steel rod, yeah. which went into a very, very hot forge starts glowing red goes into orange lots of whacking um hard work yeah. you know it took me probably half a day to make this one nail oh, don't, don't go into it professionally Roma. i don't no. think i will i think i'm better at other things for sure but nails were made like that by hand for thousands and thousands of years and it was only really during and after the industrial revolution that we started making them on mass and and it's just incredible. But the reason the nail is so special, you know, in my mind, is that we used to make stuff out of one thing before. So we'd shape a stone to make a tool. We'd shape a, a log or, you know, to make a bridge or a twig to make a spear or, you know, stuff like that. Mm. The idea of joining two things together robustly was only really possible with the nail. And it says something about us as humans, as a society, that we could source metal we could put metals together like copper and tin to make bronze and then fashion it to you know create something that allowed us to make very very complicated things but some countries just because of their natural resources mm. had a head start here didn't they yeah so it depended on where you were in the world what minerals were available to you so bronze had fought, fell out of favor at some point because we couldn't get the tin and the copper together because they were available from different parts of the world um Iron, you know, the, the world leading iron came from the Indian subcontinent where the Iron Age actually started in southern India and Sri Lanka. The Romans used to import that iron and they used that to make their very famous nails. So it was almost a very international um, trade. Mm. And nails were once extraordinarily expensive and precious. And one of the great stories I talk about in Nuts and Bolts is that the Americans, when they were still a colony of the British and the British refused to export nails, used to burn their houses down and then they would collect up all the nails from the ashes of their home because they were so expensive and then take those nails to go off and build their new home wherever they were going. God, do you know what? That really puts into perspective the way that we waste things now, doesn't it? It also, yeah. if you're called nailer... And another nugget that's in the right. book, yeah. that's where it comes from. That's Your where it comes family from. made nails. Your family made nails. And 
And in the black country, this was a huge profession, particularly women and children were making nails. They were earning a little bit of extra cash by doing this. And one of the great stories that I was able to include is that of Eliza Tinsley, whose husband died, leaving her with children and a business. And she said, you know what, I'm going to sort this out. And she expanded the business in the 19th century, you know, unheard of for women entrepreneurs to be running large businesses at the time. And, you know, her company still in name exists. And they still produce packets of nails with Eliza Tinsley on them, which I absolutely adore. Brilliant. I love that kind of thing. Uh, there's so much to learn about in your book. I had never thought about the connection between springs and guns, mm. that there would be no guns if somebody hadn't invented the spring. So one of the oldest examples of the spring is the bow from the bow and arrow, so a weapon. And it was really fascinating to me how the spring was used in the bow, which is a kind of um, older version of it. And then it became a crossbow, it became catapults, it became trebuchets, all these, you know, um, quite deadly weapons. But then, of course, in in the modern world, a gun, a pistol has got numerous springs in it. Um, you know, when you push the bullets down into the magazine, there's a spring compressed in there. When you shoot it, there's a spring that um, releases the trigger, then brings the next cart, you know, bullet up into the slider. You can tell I don't know much about guns from the way I'm describing this. But the point is that because of the ability of springs to hold energy and hold power, you know, just a little flick of your finger can release this immense energy and destruction because of this piece of engineering. Mm. I found that fascinating because the other things are static things, aren't they, that you're talking about? I suppose apart from magnets, there's an, an energy and a force there. Mm. Another thing I didn't know, Roma, was that we're magnets as people. We are. We are. Um, <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> um, so electrons have a magnetic property about them. So just like they have a charge, they also have magnetism. So atoms can be magnetic. Groups of atoms can be magnetic. Um, the reason we're magnetic is because we have iron swirling around in our blood. So that's similar to why the earth is magnetic, because there's iron in the core of it. And um, we're very, very, very weak magnets. So it's not like we have magneto-style powers or anything. I'm quite glad about but, that. <laughs> <laughs> can we just um, please, just in the last couple of minutes, talk about the wheel? Because yes, um, it's pretty important. And like Fee, I did not know that it came originally from pottery. Right. So about 6,000 years ago, the Mesopotamians um, invented the potter's wheel to make pottery, to store their food, more robust you know, pieces of vessels that they could do this in. Um, and it took about 2,000 years before someone thought, let's turn this up on its side. But from there we went into... <laughs> it just it seems so obvious, doesn't it? But only now, but carry on. Yeah, um, in retrospect, right? But then we went to having these really solid clunky wheels. We then created spoked wheels once our carpentry skills got a lot better. Mm. We created wire wheels. Wire wheels were actually invented to help flying machines because flying machines needed to be as light as possible. And again, that's one of those funny moments where we didn't think that, oh, we've got two wheels kind of side by side connected by an axle. But to put one in front of each other, again, took hundreds of years before anyone did that to create the bicycle. So I feel like in retrospect, it's really like, wasn't that really obvious? Why didn't we do that? 
but um, I guess hindsight is a wonderful thing. Well, it is, and I was about to ask you, what is it... I mean, you say at some point in the book that um, invention comes from... springs from necessity. Mm. So what... And ingenuity comes out of adversity. So what is it we need desperately right now to solve some of our situations and, and problems that we don't have? Um, I think that... Obviously, the energy crisis, I think, is a huge one, particularly around climate. Mm. I actually spoke to um, one of the laureates of the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering on a podcast about solar energy. And it was such a fascinating conversation because he thinks we have all the engineering technology we need to solve the energy problem. And it's, it's politics, regulation, policy that's the blocker in this case. So I think there are going to be new materials invented that we don't know about right now. I think there's going to be new glues invented. There will be nanoparticles, nanorobots, all of this kind of stuff. Um, and I'm sure all of these things will help. But I think for me at the, at the fundamental, at the heart of all of this, is having that connection and understanding with our technology and making sure it doesn't just run away from us. Um, and this is my little way of maybe starting that conversation. Roma Agrawal, the structural engineer who worked on the design of the Shard in London and the author of a book which I think would really appeal to uh, the nerdy side of just about all of us. And if you have somebody in your family who is interested in a career in engineering or and, or design, actually, or anything of, of that sort, uh, it's a great book to give them. Nuts and Bolts, Seven Small Inventions That Changed the World in a Big Way. Um, now, um, this is about the Navy. <laughs> the other day I was talking about how I'd sent off for a leaflet about <laughs> joining the Royal Navy when I was in my teens. And the reason I didn't want to do it was because I didn't want the handbag that came with the uniform at the time. And another fee writes to say, as a serving member of the Royal Family, I can confirm that there are a dearth of handbags, something which at times I'd be most grateful for, and perhaps can be addressed at the next defence spending review. Despite this, Nadir, I have enjoyed a wonderful 15-year career exploring the world, albeit with nowhere to put my purse, keys, tissues, pens, etc. So thank you for that fee, and I'm glad in a way to hear that the handbag has now left official Wren uniform, but it was very much a thing. It really was. We've had other emails saying I had one of those handbags. Oh, I think they would be collector's items now, yeah, wouldn't they? Yeah, well, absolutely. I would have been drawn to a profession that offered me a handbag. I would don't you? know why you weren't. Uh, can we just go out on uh, Beck's fantastic email, uh, which is... Uh, oh, no, we off... can't, because I've got two more I want to see. Oh, OK. Uh, penultimate one, then. I'll do this very quickly. Uh, it's. Uh, do you remember somebody had uh, emailed in about the things that her mother-in-law had said to her? Oh, yeah. Yes, I love these, yeah. Uh, so this one from uh, Beck, who says, when I went to meet my mother-in-law for the first time, I brought her some chocolates, which she handed back to me as I left, saying she wouldn't eat them. Uh, in the early days of our relationship, I told her that my husband, then boyfriend, and I gone to Paris for a few days, and her response was, he takes all his girlfriends to Paris. Backhanded compliments such as, you look nice, even from the back. And, you look nice, I didn't recognise you. <laughs> and Beck is a very generous soul and says, I never found these insulting, I always found them funny. Uh, there was also an honesty that is to be admired and I was quite happy to take the chocolates back. Uh, thanks for the laughs, says Beck. Well, thank you, because those are golden. Yes, and uh, Tanya, or Tanya, I never quite know. Uh, she is visiting England for the very first time. By the way, we'll also take silly things fathers-in-law have said, won't we, Fee? Uh, yes, we will, of course. Yes. yes. Equal okay. Equalities Act passed oh. in 1967. Go for it. Yes, quite. <laughs> 
Okay, Jane and Fee at Times.Radio. Uh, Tanya of Tanya is visiting England on a literary tour with her work. She is from, I think she's from Kentucky. So it's all new to her, and so she's really enjoying it. Um, she has decided to visit all the stores that you talk about. So far, Tanya's been very brave and gone to Sainsbury's, Tesco, M&S... I struggle with the connotations associated with those initials, she don't, said. What? Don't, don't, don't. Don't even know what she means. I don't know what's going on in Kentucky. Uh, and also Boots. Now, Boots <laughs> is a funny one because <laughs> do you think we just, it's such a staple of the British high street that we all know what you can buy at Boots. But obviously, if you're not from Britain, you're not going to know. <laughs> I think you're well prepared if you come from America because Walgreens is really, it's like Boots on steroids. Oh, I love a walk. I haven't been to America. You can for buy so long. a parasol for your garden, yeah. some Wellington boots, a fishing rod, your perfume, any number of contraceptive items, and your sandwiches as well. And, la- and laxatives. Laxatives in particular. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, Tanya walked into Tesco's yesterday and she saw the one-pound daffodils. A colleague took a picture of um, of me for you as I told her the story about your concern about who's losing money on them. I'm attaching it here. And there it is. There's a picture of uh, Tanya hopefully not buying the one-pound daffodils we were so concerned about. But thank you for going as far as you did, actually, to stay true to the podcast. We appreciate it. Yeah, I feel a little bit bad because maybe if we talked about slightly higher-minded things... That she would have had more fun. Actually, you know, we did mention the Tate, didn't we, the other day? And you've mentioned the theatre. Oh, I am. Any no, number of times. You know what a theatre lover I am. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Theatre, art, I can't get enough. But also to be found just hoofing chilli nuts on a sofa. Uh, right, uh, it's uh, Jane and Fee at times.radio if you'd like to join in with this malarkey. Uh, and if you want to join us on the on-air radio show, 3 till 5, Monday to Thursday, uh, all the fun of the fair, live guests, time checks. I mean, how much more time do you checks. want? Yeah, we, we give the time, don't we? <laughs> we do it's a really, no, it's a really handy thing because if you don't know what the time is or you don't have a clock, um, listen to us because... Um, yeah. I mean, it's one of the there. strange things about doing a podcast. You don't need your time checks. It's a whole skill we don't use, Jane. <laughs> give us one now. 5.23. Is it? Oh, no. <laughs> You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live. Uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods, for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.